Welcome to the Vine Conversations podcast. Today, we are joined by uh, my new friend, Doug Logan. And Doug serves as the Associate Director of Acts 29. He's also the pastor of church planting at Remnant Church in Richmond, Virginia. He's author of a book called On the Block, Developing a Biblical Picture for Missional Engagement. And he's written a bunch of articles for Acts 29 and other websites, and he's married to Angel, and they've got uh, three sons. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Zach. Good to be yeah, here. Yeah. So, Pastor Doug, tell us, I'm just curious, like your background, where are you from, how you grew up, um, what was your childhood like, anything you want to share with us about along those well, lines? Well, yeah, first, man, I apologize. You must mute. That's such an old um, bio, but cool. My <laughs> job moves very fast at X-29. I serve now as vice president of advancement for Acts 29 and um, president of Grimke Seminary in partnership with Acts 29. Oh, so great. yeah, man, but it's all good, man. I'm I'm old. I'm fine. Well, your your website administrator should uh, should be should be um, brought to speed on your on your uh, new <laughs> credentials. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, they 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 came quick. They came quick. No, COVID I'm with you. Up. I'm it's with you. Good. It's all so good. what is what is um what is did you say director of advancement at X29? Vice president of advancement. And what does that mean? Advancement is I want you to think new ground. So. Under the banner of advancement, um, we have Pastor to Pastor, which is our monthly call where it's pastors shepherding pastors through yes. different topics that me and Dwayne Bond started during COVID as well. Um, second thing is actually not urban, where we're trying to recruit and resource urban leaders in inner city poor context, okay. um, like in Flint, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, from Tyler St. Clair. Um, Camden, New Jersey, where I planted um, um, all over, now in Tampa and in Miami, all different types of churches, just really diving into resourcing those guys, training, teaching, and developing them. Um, we have X29 Espanol, um, which is for Ameri um, U.S.-based churches that are Spanish-speaking. Um, awesome. And so, um, and we're working now with We'll be working with a Jay Thomas 2022, late 2022, 2023. He does a beautiful, beautiful thing called Advanced Initiative, where it's second generation Indian church planting. And oh, we're wow. working with them. They'll be working with us in advancement. And um, all these guys are a joy to, to serve with. And so from that, um, that's a level, that's a big piece of advancement. And through advancement, we do various content building um, I'll be publishing a three-volume book of urban ministry. And wow. then um, in 2023, along with um, S29 Espanol, has, um, is going to be developing a host of recorded resources, TED Talks in the next month or two here. And those are going to be very available online through our page. So that's advancement, taking new ground, urban in our history, you know, I've been a part of the network since 06. In our history, we've primarily been a middle-class white church planning network. Yeah. Um, we I don't think we've ever had a problem with racism or nothing like that, but we've probably been white. And hood yep. dudes have always been welcome. My spiritual father, Dr. Eric Mason, was served on the board. I served on the board, the executive board as well. Yep. And we just wanted to try to tackle this. So we're, we're trying to get at it for advancement. So I... Uh yeah, let me improvise here a little bit. Tell us, um, like, what have you seen along the lines of growing diversity in Acts 29, maybe say in the last five years, or maybe since you've been in more of a position of influence and leadership? Well, I served as director of diversity um, my first run post after leaving the board of Acts 29 in 2018. What, what I realize and came to recognize was that um opportunity and opportunity access in an invitation bring about the greatest form of diversity mm -hmm. especially in a network where there's where a broader tent where presbyterians charismatics and baptists we all party 
yep. under the beautiful under our beautiful reform soteriology. Yep. Um, and once opportunity is available for a network like Act 29, we've had, especially in our executive director Brian Howard, who has got his he's got his he's got his foot on the gas, driving home Doug. Um, keep coming up with strategies toward diversity. So um, once there was an availability, remember, dudes plant churches with networks who can help them. Yeah. Um, we didn't necessarily have resources to help urban dudes and Spanish dudes, Spanish speaking dudes, and yeah. some are some of our Korean, our Asian brothers. But now we're trying to build that out. And so once urban resources were available through a thing that me and Mez McConnell built was Church in Hard Places back in 2018. A lot of brothers came and flooded us because then they knew that the contextualized training that they needed for their particular city and the context of their city is um, very, very um, vital. So I've seen us diversify at every level from an addition of churches to leadership, um, we're one of the most uh, diverse church planning networks at, um, in existence. We have we have an all nation staff, and it's yep. still largely white because America is still largely white. Yeah. But um, from the diversity of my own son, who's on that team, from Asians, Dominicans, Africans, we are socioeconomically diverse geographically diverse and racially diverse in every area of um, our staff and we're growing in that on the staff and in the network yep man that's beautiful that's beautiful it, man i know this kind of work is is not simple it's very very complicated um and i'm sure there's stories you could tell of challenges along the way as you've been in leadership and seeking to implement these initiatives um would you be willing to just share maybe a couple challenges that you've come across to, to, to accomplish the goals that you have in mind and how you've persevered through those? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, Zach, I'll talk more for, first about urban. Sure. In the urban reality, for, for, the, for me as an urban pastor, 25 years in ministry, there's always been a misunderstanding of what that means. Um, and now in the more broad urban scope, like when Tim Keller talks about urban ministry, he's talking more about Manhattan and exposed brick and cool coffee sure, and dense population sure, and, ex you know, like Manhattan, which is very expensive, dense population, it's city. Yep. But when I talk about urban, I'm talking about, but he's talking about center city urban. I'm talking about inner city urban which right. is what we call the hood. Right. And so there's always been this, con this, this misconception that there's a level of compromise to do urban ministry because the hood is so rough and, and, and there's a level of compromise and all of that stuff of theology and strategy um, and almost like networks have to do an affirmative action, missional strategy, to reach the hood. No, we don't. We got sure. the same gospel for the same city for the, for people because the gospel right. is for all people. Amen. But we do have different strategies sure. that are needed that um, are pertinent to the effectiveness of the minister in that context. So some of the things we overcame were just explaining what ministry was in the urban context as and clarifying that in dispelling some of the myths that people thought. And then um, for Acts 29, I explained it in 10 seconds and we had no issue with that. We just needed somebody to do it. So I left my church in 2018 to do it. But some of the hurdles over the past couple years has been just simply understanding what urban ministry is, which I believe that was one big hurdle through explanation and continued presentation of who we are as a network where I'm the same network as everybody else yep. and we just go to a different context second was um yeah just working through we had the pocket of um you know the political the political um 
phase within our country, the election cycle yep. mixed with um, George Floyd dying, yep. Yep. I mean, being killed yep. and um, all of that. I, I, I think there was therefore a big misconception as it pertains to, to diversity and race and the gospel and CRT and Marxism. And that was a difficult time for me. Um, I've tried to walk, I've tried to serve the Lord in this network. I've tried to walk with Jesus, with my family, with my wife. Yeah. They married 26 years. Um, I've preached publicly. I preach clearly. I've pastored in hood. Man, I'm easy to spot at the restaurant. I'm trying to hug some folk, love some folk. And the level of accusations of CRT and Marxism yeah. for being upset about George Floyd being killed in the street with a knee in his neck. And then for mentioning race to be deemed a social warrior, a right. social warrior, a social justice warrior, right, and right. to then be accused of critical race theory for talking about real racial issues that yeah. are happening in the world and in Christ church. Yep. There's no way. And so my heart was broke a lot through 2020, 2021, coupled with COVID. To overcome that, man, um, we had to really just pray, calm down, relax, read, study, and be ready to answer with the gospel and give a reason for the hope, right? Yeah. With the text and not. You know, pre I'm just a Vantillian presuppositionalist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like man, all theology starts with God. So if you want to argue yeah. with me about calling me CRT or calling me unredeemed woke, then you're gonna need some Bible. And if you and with me, you're gonna need some time because we right. need to talk and think it through. Because I'm not trying to fight you. I'm trying right. to love you. And right. if you're coming in to to take me out and you're a Christian, well, you can leave my house because you better come in here with some grace, with some love, with some beer, with a hug, and we're going <laughs> to figure it out. But you ain't coming in to attack me because yeah. we brothers. Yeah, amen, amen. So that was a big obstacle for me personally and my team to overcome because we were constantly getting accused, less right. from Acts 29, more from outside. But there were some brothers in Acts 29 who were doing that. Yeah. And um, by God's grace, almost every one of those resolved either – um, in departure or in hugs. Yeah, that's good. Do you do you feel like, you know, I mean, like you said, it's 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 uh, political things with Trump stirring the pot, and it's George Floyd and it's COVID, and you know, every pastor I know is pretty much fried, you know, from the last couple years. Do you? But yeah, w would you say in terms of the issues that you just raised, where it comes to diversity and accusations about things that those kind of conversations are starting to calm down? Um, one of the yeah. things, sorry, I, I got a lot of questions, but maybe I can just start with that one. Yeah, I think that I think they are because I think, um, a lot of hot button topics in my 25 years of ministry pop up and then pop back out mm -hmm. because um, we can be like Act 17, always looking for something new. Right. We, we can have the Epicurean stuff going on. Um, also, I think there was a lot of good answers from various leaders. Um, I remember in 2018, Lee Duncan did a wonderful job at Together for the Gospel explaining his view from the second commandment. Um, I know that um, Woke Church, in which I endorsed, um, was a well-written book, and it got a bad rap for having the term woke in it, even though it was not cultural wokeness. It was sure. an apologetic to the culture. And if you read the book, it's a right. very gospel-centered, simple book. Yeah, um, by Dr. Yeah, Eric and, Mason. Yeah, and so many of those things were answered. And so once the, the rat-a-tat-tat starts, well, good gospel men are, go are not going to jump right into the fray and fight. We're going to jump back and pray. Mm -hmm. And what I sought to do was pray, read, ask some people that were way smarter than me who I trust and love, gather some, gather my, gather my heart and my thoughts, make sure I'm not going in dirty wanting to defend myself because 
Christ has defended me on the cross. I'm ever defended. Amen. I don't need to fight another Christian for Amen. my place. So I'm trying to go in as a grown man and a pastor, because if a brother is coming at me disrespectfully, then I have to shepherd and love him, not just fight him, because I'm 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 a I'm a I'm an old dude now. I got great grandkids, so I want to love these men. I fight with them because I'm defended fully. So I think when it subsided, it's because many men and women got together, read the Bible, yeah. and figured out some thoughts on how the gospel engages these topics, yeah. and were able to answer clearly with the gospel-centered, biblical, reflective mature bathed in prayer answers that quenched it and i think a lot of people stop arguing with the with the with the with the yak yakers yeah. who are really pursuing platform and sure. not pursuing the person and work of christ right you know you they they, they wanted to be youtube famous or they wanted they had a lot of Saul of tarshish in them some of yeah. them did yeah they were fighting for something passionately with their heart believing that they were defending the good God of grace, but ultimately, man, they had to run up on that on that gospel. And listen, the gospel and is designed to quench arguments, bring unity, and clarify God's heart for the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what it does. But we gotta fight a little bit sometime. I'm cool with that. We gotta fight a little bit sometime, but we fight like family, not like some foes. Right, like enemies. That's right. That's right. I, I um, I'm not sure even how to ask this. So give me grace if I'm if I'm if I screw up in how I articulate this. But I've I've talked a little bit with some of my uh, African American friends about just the the idea. George Floyd happens. The video is seen. Everybody's outraged. Right. I mean, a sea of white people. You know is outraged and and wants to show empathy empathy toward black brothers and sisters that are experiencing that differently than maybe a white brother and sister might experience that just based on context and history and and just life story and then there's like a wave that happens where it's just like it's really really hot everybody's talking about it we were talking about it at our church i mean um we're not a very diverse church here in, in madison wisconsin but we're going to talk about it. It's important to talk about. We're going to think about it biblically, theologically. But then the wave kind of crests and then it comes down and George Floyd isn't in the, the news anymore. The rallies aren't happening anymore. The marches aren't happening anymore like they were before. And is there a sense of, of for you as a, as a black leader as someone who might experience these things differently than I would just because of context and experience and all that, is there a sense of discouragement from that where, or is it just like, this is kind of how it is and it's normal. Um, does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. Brother, you don't need no grace. It's, it's, it's a difficult question to ask. You're asking me was, was I hyped when everybody began to have this, finally have this discussion and have it out there. And right. then now it seems like all that hype was just actually that hype. It wasn't a genuine, in some senses, I guess what you're saying, do you feel it was not genuine? Um, or just feel like maybe abandoned because there's all these people that seem really excited. And then two years later, it's like, well, are we still working on stuff or have we just gotten off the hype train and, and people aren't working on the stuff, but the issues haven't changed Right. You know, there, there's right. still well, yeah. there's still there's still lots and lots of issues when it comes to hatred and across color lines in this country. Of course, that's all. I mean, it's human nature, as we both know theologically. But just just that whole issue. I mean, I'm just trying to understand from your experience how you process that because I come from a different world. You know what I'm saying? Well, brother, I hear you, but we come from. You don't, but you do. Let me say right. this: Martin Luther King was killed. Yeah. Evans was killed. Right. The country moved on. Right. Why? Because all the issues and things that happen in our world are not quenched by the hype of outrage about the moment. Right. But me and you answer all of our questions through the ministry of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And that's a crock pot vision that requires us to have an eschatological hope. 
me yeah. and you are cameos. See, people who virtual sig vir virtue signal, right? They burn like a match, right? Real big, and then they burn out, right? But pastors and Christians and believers, men and women, we burn like candles. We don't burn super big. We burn light and steady for a long time. Yeah. So the, we're going to have a problem with race forever. Right. Because sin is not leaving to the eschaton. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> Therefore, amen. Amen. me and you, I don't even get involved in a hype. Why? I am involved in a hype. How am I involved in a hype? I'm a believer in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Right. I'm a pastor of Christ Church. I, my gospel and my role is to create, is to see people converted, see the gospel go to the nations, and that, under the banner of Christ, use that gospel to, to silence all ridiculousness through its power and might. Mm -hmm. And that's how me and you, for a lifetime, right. Protests. We protest sin every day with the gospel. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> through through the so regular. I don't need a big one for that for just Wednesday. I'm not mad at those, but right. Our lives converted our protests against evil. There were protests against injustice. There were protests against sin. So we just have to live out this gospel and do justice. Right. Live justly. And and, and one of the things that you know, yeah, I, I mean. I resonate with that deeply and I said similar things to our church. And in addition, there's going to be certain people that are going to have a unique calling that make some of these issues maybe on a governmental level or on a, a city council level, school board level that have those giftings and callings that might be different than, you know, your everyday Christian. Um, and so there's, there's that side of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. But by and large, we're crockpot Christians. We mm -hmm. cook slow, and we're always fighting off salmonella with the slow burn Amen. of that cook. Amen. I love that. I love that. I love that. And then what you're saying is just perseverance. You know what I mean? Can you, can you uh, like a lot of people can get excited about George Floyd and for justice as they should, but can we do that for two decades? That's, they, that's, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's exactly right. And brother... And here's where me and you got to stay focused. All that attention toward that, there were no altar calls and baptisms at them protests. Yeah. So after we finished protesting, uh, rightly, injustice, very nice people that don't know Jesus are still going to hell. Yeah. So we can't keep move our minds from conversions, and we can't move our minds from fighting for justice. We do both. Why? Right. Because our gospel allows both it's within our gospel which is justice it's within mm. our gospel is conversion so mm. when we bounce in and out and overemphasize one thing we move we lose our instrument we lose our incarnational instrumentality which is to be salt and light in the earth not just salt not just light so we have to constantly keep that incarnational instrumentality flowing because god has sent us to be local and present in our cities and to impact them with the gospel message that transforms them from the inside out so that they can be the living protest. Amen. And we still stand against injustice. I ain't scared to protest. We with the protest. We are for justice. Amen. Amen. But we're praying for the Floyd family and we're praying for the guy who killed him. Why? Because we want him saved too. That's right. We're still That's mad right. at him. We still believe he should go to jail. But we want him to know Jesus, too. Amen. And we want to make sure that the testimony we send is that his family doesn't think he can't come to a black church mm -hmm. because he's so hated. No, bro, he you, a black. He could come to a black church. His family could come to my church. I love yep. him. Yep. They need the gospel more than ever in light of this. So we just got to make sure that we don't bounce in and out. We have a gospel of justice. We have a gospel of grace. Mm -hmm. We have a gospel of, of mercy. We have a gospel of healing. We've mm -hmm. got the full store. We are Walmart Christians. We got every aisle. Our mm -hmm. gospel brings us all these aisles. Yeah, but if we bounce out and become Pierce Pagoda and just be the little cart in the middle of the mall and not be the mall of what God does, then we lose it. And yes, like you said, we have some, some cats that are going to get that God is going to use to highlight and do something. 
but we can't lose track. We are gospel centered, not just anti-race centered, anti-racism centered. Mm -hmm. We're we're gospel centered. So we we stand against racism in the gospel. But if we eliminated racism from the world, the world sure ain't fixed. Amen. Amen. Still ain't fixed. We got to preach that gospel. Amen. Man, I appreciate that, Doug. I'm way off script, but that's how this goes sometimes. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Man, tell us tell us just about, you know, where you're just a little, uh, a little like get to know you. Like, where are you from? How did you grow up? Uh, and maybe just how did you become a Christian? Well, man, I grew up, I'm, I'm born and raised, raised, ruined and resurrected in New Jersey. Born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey. Lived a stint in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I went to 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Love Charlotte. Okay. Love my time there. Um, and went to college in Greensboro, North Carolina for a short run there. Wind up coming back to Jersey in 1991. Came to know Jesus in 96. Got married in 96 to my wife now of 25, 26 years. And um, have three boys, 34, 25, and 24 Two wow. married, one getting married, October one. Wow. Three grandkids and one great grand. Wow. So, man, I can't, man, I just grew up in the church. I was what you call an unsaved Christian. That's an okay. oxymoron, I know. Right, I was right. one of those church boys that went to church because as an African-American, my church was like going to school. You better get up and go to school every day. And every Sunday, you better get up and go to church. Yeah. Um, and so I went to church, heard the word, you know, I... I was a church boy. I was at church. And if I fell asleep, my mother throw that elbow on me, yep. jam me up in my ribs, and I wake up and scream hallelujah. And I don't know <laughs> if I was saying that. I was I was saying something from pain. Yeah, but yeah, yeah man, so grew up in and around the church. And Did you think that you understood the gospel? Or were you not would you say you weren't a Christian? I would say I was not a Christian. Okay. I would say I was a I, I you know, nominal is weak. I would say I was a of Jesus, a disconnected church boy. I okay. I knew about Christ. I heard the gospel preached. I I was in my mind. I was Christian enough to go to heaven. I wasn't Christian enough to be a Christian, but I was Christian enough to go to heaven. <laughs> and one day, man, I owned a barbershop. So I owned a barbershop for many years, about twelve years. Okay. And man, um, one of my mama barbers. Um, just cut a lot of preachers all the time and they just always shared the gospel with me and one of my good friends of many many years I mean I've known him more than I know my wife Ty Trivet was instrumental in his family or instrumental in sharing the gospel with me leading me to Christ along with another another um, big brother my Jay Sykes them dudes was on me with that gospel because I cut all their hair okay and so um so me and Ty are still really good friends and um man they just shared the gospel with me constantly so one day, man, I just got hit in the face. I got punched in the face with grace at 26 years old. And I don't know, the same gospel did something new. And man, I I recognized the need for my, uh, for Jesus and this, the, the weight of my sin hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I heard the same thing and it, it hit different. And by God's grace, man, I got married the next day wow. um, to my former atheist wife who I led the shared the gospel with that night when I came to know Jesus, got up and drove to the justice of the peace. And within about a month, I was, I preached my first sermon at Ty Tribbett's home church there in Camden, New Jersey, mm-hmm. back in 1996 and um, got married. I got saved that night on a Wednesday, got married that Thursday afternoon. Um, and about a month later, I was out in Philadelphia on the street corner preaching the gospel to homeless people. Wow. Um, some awful sermons, but they, I was preaching and God. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and so from there, man, I served at a, a missionary Baptist church in Burlington, New Jersey. Um, that's where I was being discipled by um, a Plymouth Brethren brother. And that's okay. my roots. I'm, I'm discipled by a Plymouth Brethren. And wow. um, yeah, man, so that's my cousin. And he walked me through the gospel later to then candidate at a church which was an all-white church in Kensington, Philly, section of Philly, which is a superhood section near in North Philly near 
with Dr. Mason planted Epiphany, I was in the more Latino section called Kensington. They call okay. it K&A, Kensington okay. and Allegheny. So I was there for several years and then got discipled and mentored by a man by the name of Bill Crispin, who started CUT, Center for Urban Theological Studies in Philly, where he served there for like 20 some odd years. And uh, man, he walked me, walked me up and down through the face, taught me a lot, um, man, trained me. I learned my my ghetto reformed theology from him. You know, he taught me reformed theology through the minor prophets, not wow. through the institutes. Okay. And, you know, oh, I, I understood, it. you know, reformed theology through no matter how bad the city gets, God's going to accomplish his work in the earth. Amen. And that's the only way it makes sense because I'm from the hood. We get the mm -hmm. worst of the worst. Yep. We get the worst water. We got the worst books. We got the some of the worst um policing systems yep. we have some of the worst sewage systems mm -hmm. we got awful live we got not so well good libraries we and but we've got some of the best people that are that are just trying to survive and make it and so for me reform theology made so much sense because i just if i went according to the system of this world like i've been cheated i've grown up poor my whole life so i would be cheated out of the stuff and God would only save the good rich people or the good white people. And for me as a young boy, that's how I felt about it. And my dislike of white people, like they got all that stuff and they still complain and I'm down here with nothing. And so yeah. when reformed theology hit me, it hit me like, nah, that too is racism, Doug. God has a sovereign plan to save who we will for mm -hmm. his glory, by his grace. And the playing field is level. It's by his grace, his irresistible grace. Yeah. Um, he is saving people. And that's what makes Reformed Theology work for me. When Joel is preaching that gospel and God's talking about he's going to restore what the canker worm took. That's where I yeah. say hallelujah. That's where I realize yeah. that this, this God who's no respect of persons can save from the uttermost. And he is not scared of the hood. He just doesn't go to the nice neighborhoods, but he comes to the grimiest of the grimy and, he, and equally brings the same power, which is the gospel. Amen. And so that's so as I did that with Doc Crispin, man, he walked me through, trained me, loved me. I wound up doing the residency with Doc Eric Mason, my spiritual father. And man, we um, I served with him, knew him for many years, served with him. He trained me, taught me. Man, he taught me so much from preaching to cooking, to cooking <laughs> fried white, you know, love and um, just my bro, man. Love yeah. him. Love him. Him and his family. They fed me when I was hungry. They yeah. gave me money when I ain't have no lights. They yeah. just took good care of me at Epiphany in Philadelphia. And then they sent me to plant in Camden. So that's my journey. I'm just a hood dude, little nappy head boy from Patterson, New Jersey, <laughs> trying to preach this gospel, make many disciples and raise my kids and grandkids to know Jesus and mm -hmm. and give them a grandfather that ain't going to embarrass them every time yep. his name comes you. up in the future. Oh, man, I love that. I love that. Let me ask you this. So these, these friends of yours that shared the gospel with you repetitively, um, it was just like when they were, sh when they were sharing with you, was it just like, in your mind, it was like a brick wall, brick wall, and then all of a sudden the spirit just just blasted through the brick wall? Or would, do, did you feel like it was a progression where it's like, at first, I'm like, these dudes are weird. I don't want to hear it. Or, and then slowly it just started melting. Yeah, <laughs> again, understand? I was a church boy, so I hear it different. Yeah. I wasn't, if I was claiming to be an atheist, my wife claimed to be an atheist, which was different. Right. I wasn't claiming to be an atheist. I believe because I colored in coloring books in Sunday school and said a prayer back when I was four, I was good. Right. So it was different for me. I was almost offended that they were trying to lead me to Christ right. as if I wasn't a Christian already. Right. And so um, several people, um, brother, good brother named by them, Larry, I, I sort of deflected him by saying I already received Christ. And one day he said to me, you know, that's a lie from the pit. You ain't no Christian, Doug. You going to hell, boy. And I said, I'll punch you in your face. Right. <laughs> right. And within that sequence of about three or four weeks, that was one of the most jarring things 
See, that's the problem. I was a little nice guy. I wasn't a good guy because there's none good but God, but I, I wasn't a good guy. But I, I, I was a polite little nice fella. And so polite little nice people who say, who know Christian words, they often miss an aggressive punch in the face of that gospel evan of evangelism, right? Because I say nice things to people to deflect them. And um, Larry just was walking in the ghost of the ghost of God that day. He he wasn't accepting my corny little, well, nah, I already love Jesus. He was like, nah, I know you don't. You're going to hell, boy. And that thrust, along with my boy Jay Sykes at the barbershop and many other preachers at the barbershop, it just came all together. And yet yeah, it was like a brick wall, but it was a brick wall that I built. It wasn't a brick wall that just the hardness of heart was. I had a hardness of heart, but I thought it was a soft. I thought it was soft. I didn't realize it was hard. My yeah. wife, on, on the other hand, she had a brick wall and she ordered, she had a company come in and put it in. That's the difference was I didn't think I had a wall. She yeah. knew she did. Yeah. So when it fine, when the realization of my sin hit me, it was, well, you know, I guess I do sin a lot and I guess I, I'm going to have to pay for that. And I don't know if I feel like I'm doing what the Bible says. It was just one day. It just broke me down. Like yeah. those questions I just said to you, it was as simple as that. For my wife, on the other hand, she just simply said, so you're telling me Jesus, you know, died from died on the cross, rose from the grave. And you're saying if we believe in him, we can go to heaven. Yeah. And I want to marry you. And um, I believe God's going to make me a preacher. So I still want to, you know, have that nighttime life with you. Mm -hmm. Like we've been living together. I, I still want to have sex at night. So um, and I want to be a Christian. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we work this out? She mm -hmm. said, we're just going to have to go to church and read the Bible and pray and stuff. I said, yeah. She said, let's go. We went to the Justice of the Peace and got married. <laughs> that was in 1996. And it became a little bit more than go to church and pray a little bit. <laughs> so would she and, say that that was her conversion moment? Just that conversation with you? Or was it more like just an agreement to get married? I didn't want to lose Doug. And then she became a Christian after that. She didn't care about losing me, but um, no, she would. <laughs> she would say that was she wrestles in between that moment and the moment where one day she just said she just broke down crying in the old mm -hmm. in, a, in my old black church, Missionary Baptist Church. Uh -huh. We had what they call a a mourners bench, yeah, where you would sit there and they would moan. Everybody thought it was called the mourners bench, but it was the mourners bench. Yeah, and they wanted to see you, you know hate your sin and love God and have a moment yep. where they sense that you are really a Christian. And I think Angel had that mourner's bench moment about a year later. She just heard the gospel one night at a watch night service. She just broke down crying. And, you know, as in our tradition of the, of the, of, of our, of the, of the black Baptist church, we call altar call every service. Mm -hmm. So she went up to receive Christ kind of, she went up to, she just got out of her seat. She wanted to just fully straight up acknowledge she believes and she gets it now. She'll tell you that was a moment of like a Jesus moment where she realized how real God was. Yeah. And she would still say her conversion was that time back before, right when we got married. Yeah. So, I, and this is what I say, I don't care. I love her. She's going to heaven. She, she's a woman of God. And yep. I don't know if it was March of that year or January of the next. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, so that's what she would say is maybe it was there, maybe it was there, but somewhere in there, Jesus yeah. snatched me up out of this pit. Yeah. The wind of the spirit was blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Are there any transferable concepts that you think about from your conversion and those experiences with those early friends that have stuck with you in terms of how you think about and train people to share their faith today? Yeah, I, I would argue that we can't assume people are Christians and we can't be scared to say something that might make the conversation uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think 
Now I grew. Now I'm older, so for me that was 1996. That was a good while ago. That was 25 years ago. So I was from the tracks era. You gave a the weird looking tracks out to everybody, right? Scaring them into heaven, mm-hmm. and um, and then from the bold street preaching, telling everybody it was going to hell. So now I'm not talking about that weird, non-contextual, non-strategic, non, you know, um stuff i'm talking about at 17 i'm talking about mars hill i'm talking about paul talking to agrippa i'm talking about you know stephen um preaching even in the persecution that he was even i'm talking about philip talking to the eunuch i'm talking about strategically asking god to give you collisions with unbelievers so that you can show and share a gospel with both life and lips and that takes time. So we need to do organic evangelism and organized evangelism. So for me, one thing many people did was each week they came in and they would say stuff to me like, Doug, man, I'm blessed and highly favored. The Lord is good. Hey, brother, I know you don't really mess with Jesus, but how can I pray for you? And so yes. that was constant. And then people always ask me how they could pray. And if I had a moment or a crisis and stuff like that, they would stop in and lay. And then, you know, I'm from the hood, so I'll let you pray for me because I sure. kind of think I'm, I'm a Christian. Sure. And so that that organized reality where they strategically continue to come for me, love me and um, in a regular friend way. And then coupled with that with that organic, like just trusting the ghost and saying, hey, bro, I don't think you're a Christian. And if you mm-hmm. are, let's talk a little bit about that. And mm-hmm. listen, the room was awkward, bro, when he said yeah, that. Right, right. And he was willing to he was willing to camp out in the awkwardness. As he said, I'd rather be awkward on earth than you be awkward in hell. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I value that level of awkwardness. And so we've got to stop being scared to be awkward. The mm-hmm. gospel by nature is in opposition to the evil one schemes to draw people and keep them in the kingdom of darkness. Mm-hmm. We've got to, but we've got to have a bigger view of the gospel. I yep. think we lack a big view of the gospel. And sometimes our reformed theology causes us to have evangelistic. Um, we, we expect evangelistic um, osmosis. We mm-hmm. expect it just to happen. Now we got to say it and we got to deal with the consequences of somebody yep. not liking us. Yep. And somebody feeling like that was inappropriate. Yep. And all I'm saying is we got to do that creatively and prayerfully and carefully, not just dropping tracks on you and right. telling you you're going to, you know, not that turn and burn gospel. Right. <laughs> but that. Boom. So I, t- I teach people to set up a conversation with somebody you want to talk to privately over four meetings. So you don't have to cram everything in. So set up four one hour meetings. You let them talk the first time and tell the story. Let them talk the second time and tell their their disagreements. You talk half and half the third meeting. And then the fourth meeting, you ask them, you share the gospel. And let them decide. I like those four meetings. Do it at Chick-fil-A. You get a good sandwich and some waffle fries. (laughs) I love it. Lemonade is amazing. I got to drink the diet now. (laughs) All right. yeah, I think we do that. It sets us up for a relationship because at the end of that, it's not going to be some hot button argument about every little debate, but it's going to be conversational and relational, which every time I've done that, I've always been able to get four to five more meetings Yeah. after yeah. those first four, which is just simply relationship. Amen. But we have to have a patient evangelism because um, um, it's because God is sovereign. Yeah. God is sovereign. John Calvin talks about the confidence and the patience of the evangelist because of our reformed theology should give us a relaxed confidence that God's going to do it. Amen. And we should be the most chill when it comes to evangelism. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let me switch gears because I know you, you have a lot of experience with church and hard places and thinking about um, engaging with people that might be more on the margins of society. And we as a church, you know, we're firmly, middle class, upper middle class. Um, mm-hmm. Madison, Wisconsin is uh, primarily white. Um, there's a lot of diversity that comes from the university. 
but um, it's is that not... that seventy show town? Uh, I don't think so. I had never watched that seventy show. I'm sorry. I think it's Madison, Wisconsin. Is it okay? Maybe it is. I mean, someone listening to this will correct me. In, but anyway, um, yeah, you know the Wisconsin Badgers. Fo- I don't know if you're a football fan, but Big Ten. Um, you know, it's we're like two hours from Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, but like there, there's a there's a a passion to for for a lot of people to be involved in 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 helping people that are on the margins. And that's something we've talked about a lot as a church. When it comes to people that are coming out of poverty or are in poverty, um, based on your experience with just helping people think that through, what would you say um, is, is, is most vital when it comes to trying to engage people in poverty or people that are consistently on the margins? Well, again, our presupposition is the biggest problem is sin. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't remove the environmental and historical damage or systemic issues that flow in their particular situation. Right. But we're not, you know, my friend David Apple from 10th Pres writes more than just a soup kitchen. So remember, we are, we do the gospel of the Savior, not sentimentality. So we don't want them to have a good coat and a lot of food and go to hell. So we want them to have food and and coats and the gospel. Amen. We want we want both. We don't we don't we don't separate those. We don't right. We don't jack those up. So um but you know one thing I've learned in my years of serving in poor communities is man, um often what's missing is dignity. Mm-hmm. I mean, ask a question like, how are you doing? I mean, you, you don't realize for in a poor community, how you doing? My name is how deep and evangel, 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 evangelistic that is. Right. Cause often people are telling them what to do and telling them what they, what line to stand in and how to get this and how they have to do this to get that. Yep. So when, when the believer, says to them how you doing what's your name my name is and you just talk to them like a human being yeah just, just <laughs> like an just image bearer imago day grace yeah Im- image just bearer. regular old imago day yep. you are image bearer of god what's yep. your name amen that in and of itself is so valuable and important but the worst thing we can do is go be their jesus mm-hmm. we are not their savior Jesus mm-hmm. is the Savior. We have to see them through the lens of the gospel. And if we see them through the lens of the gospel, and if they are poor and don't know Jesus, then we are just as desperate and needy mm-hmm. as them. Mm-hmm. And that's what fuels our worship, because mm-hmm. we're we're in this off we're in this body longing for the new one. So on this earth, we are so desperate and dependent upon God. We need to be desperate as the woman at the will. We need to be desperate as the woman with the issue of blood. Even now, I'm that desperate and yearning for Christ. So therefore, when I pres- when I hang with, with people from the hood and poor people, it's easy to relate. First, because I've been poor. Second, because, man, I'm a, I'm a transformed by the gospel of grace believer, bro. Like that in and of itself says, I'm so poor I couldn't fix myself. I'm so broken it took a cosmic, a cosmic message and a and a, a spirit from the eternal creator of all things to fix me. Surely he can handle poverty. So it just changes our posture towards people. Mm-hmm. And that changed posture when we look through the lens of grace, when we look at ourselves as desperate and needy as everybody else. And the only difference between us and an unbeliever is our desperate neediness has found itself satisfied in Christ. That's right. And that now, but we still have that, but me and you still worship like we desperate and needy. Me Mm -hmm. and you still pray and cry out like we desperate and needy. Why? Because we are. That's right. And then that posture changes how we deal and operate. And I've just seen that. Second, 
element of dealing in impoverished way in impoverished communities to help is this good word no um often when i did mission trips and, and some of my churches would come in of any race from from more of an affluent community we'd have a block party at the church and do some stuff like block book bag drives and stuff like that mm -hmm. some people from poor people start demanding stuff and scare my little white people that's down there serving the Lord and helping me, helping me out as their friend. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to do too much and they're going past it because they moved into pity and not compassion. Hmm. How would you define so, the difference? Yeah. Pity says I've got to accommodate you because you're so needy. Compassion says, I know your greatest need and I'm going to help you with both. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We, no good father gives, gives a hungry son a snake. Right. right. However, no good father replaces the hunger of his soul with a good meal either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. He does both. Mm -hmm. He gives them the meal and the gospel. Mm -hmm. And often I'm a dad, you're a dad, this good word, no. So I'll give you an example. We're we're doing a book bag drive, and this lady was had a lady had one of my little um, suburban missionaries down at the thing, asking her for this and telling her she need this and telling her she need this. And the lady was just trying to express it that you know I don't I don't do that. I don't have that. I'm, I wish I'm so sorry. Yes, you do. You got a car. Yeah. And so the lady's like going about to go in her wallet and almost give her her credit card or something. Yeah. And I said. I said, dear sister, put your wallet away. I said, man, I said, hey, ma'am, how you doing? She said, hey, Pastor Diddy. I said, hey, what, what's, what's going on? She said, well, I just need, I said, no. We got these book bags. We got these hot dogs. We got this water. We got this moon bounce for the kids. That's what we got. We got nothing else. But what about, ain't no what about. I love you so much. We're going to stop this talk. No, we love mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. We're going to, my dear sister here is going to pray for you to help you with your need, but what we've got, we're giving. Please don't go past that. Yeah, like you're saying boundaries. Yeah, it's gotta be authentic boundaries and it can't just float into a pitiful, oh, they're so bad, I gotta do everything to save them. No, mm -hmm. Jesus saves them. You yep. serve Jesus in communicating that and you can give them we can give out book bags and we can give out food and we can give out sneakers like we did at that book bag drive. But yeah. you can't give your credit card lady. You're right. fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, there's, yeah. And like it's moment by moment, Holy spirit wisdom in, in the context of it, maybe it's different if those two were friends or those two had a relationship with some history. Right. Exactly. And, but it's like, yeah, we, let me ask you this. I, I, do you have time for one more question or two? Sure. Okay. Uh, so we've been engaging um, as a church at a crisis pregnancy center that has a um, almost like a, a dormitory program for women that are in crisis and pregnant. And majority of the women would probably say come from the hood. Um, and man, it's been a joy for me. Like, I, I mean, I was way, raised, you know, super white context in a smaller town in Iowa. And these women, a lot of them come from the inner city of Chicago. And it's just like, dude, I feel like your context and my context is like, you know, like planets apart, you know? So it's been great for me, you know, month after month engaging with these women and hearing their stories and, and our small group goes up and serves there. But one of the things that I've learned in conversations with some of the leaders of the ministry is just how hard it is for people on the human side, how hard it is, how hard it is on the human side for people to get out of poverty. Um, and, 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 you know, just like um, the, the, the gravity that wants to pull them back in through relationships or other things like that um, is just really, really complicated and challenging. We haven't seen it a lot with, you know, it's been 12 years and lots and lots of women that we've worked with um, be able to rise out of poverty. Have you had a similar experience? And if so, 
from the human side of things, what do you think is going on there? Well, poverty. Poverty often, could be could be defined differently. I know it's it's relative, right? Yeah, no, no, it's not relative. You're on. I'm just saying, poverty within itself can move beyond the numbers into both into the the, the numbers are designed through so, sociology, right? Right. We understand poverty through sociology, which we can rightly do, but again, me and you are. I'm a Van Tilly presuppositionalist, and all theology starts with God. So I'm jumping off of poverty um, and the mentality that poverty can bring, the mentality that rich can bring, the mentality mm -hmm. that middle class can bring. Mm -hmm. We all have a, a foundational socioeconomic spot that doesn't come necessarily with a, <laughs> with a good moral thing. However, sure, poverty sure. can be uglier and much more loud publicly than um, the greed in the class. heart of a rich person or something like that. That's just Absolutely. insidious. It's but just you hide loud. it. You can hide it easier. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just worked out differently because all of our economic statuses are different and we all need the same gospel because mm -hmm. he's no respecter of persons. However... Each one of those comes with a, in some ways, a foundational identity. And sometimes that identity floats into idolatry and it becomes so intimate and in, in a part of you. Meaning, um, you can talk to a poor person, and I've shared the gospel with tons, and I try to explain to them simple things from bank accounts, like we did at our church. We worked with different banks to try to help people set up bank accounts. Mm -hmm. We had the health and wellness fair where we were doing teeth. Um, dentists were there and medical stuff was there. And um, just the thought of somebody saying, you need a root canal, um, and they were gonna do it free, no matter what we said, he continued to feel like it was too expensive, even after we said free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, and then a host of different conversations in reference to different things for me in the inner city, it's just hard sometimes to talk somebody out of the impoverished mindset, not yeah. just the rea not just their money. It's, they, they're not just impoverished because of their, their money, their financial numbers, but they're impoverished in their mindset and it's hard to move out. I know for me, as a kid, it's hard for, it was hard for me to move out. You know, um, Pastor Brandon Watts, Pastor of Epiphany Brooklyn said, no, not Pastor Brandon Watts, he says some other jokey stuff against me. <laughs> pastor Jerome Gay, and yeah. actually not a pastor, yeah. in Raleigh, North Carolina said, if hustle was a spiritual gift, Doug, you'd be the most gifted person in the whole church. Yeah, if hustle was a spiritual gift. So I'm a hustler yeah. and yeah. I go to work every day. And But even in my impoverished, that's still a little bit in me, you know what I'm saying, brother? I'm still out here trying to hustle, doing ten things to get a to save four dollars yeah. when I when I don't spend fifty dollars on gas riding around trying to save four right. because I still have a little bit of that in me, yeah. and so for others it's much deeper. Yep. So their mentality bleeds into their identity. And then they can't see themselves outside of it because their whole worldview is shaped through the lens of of poverty. Yeah. Um, um, I think Jesus does well. I think Jesus knows this. And that's why he identified himself as poor often. Yeah. Because the God of the universe identifies as poor. What an apologetic against the impoverished, idolatrous identity. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so Jesus set us up, but brother, you didn't, uh, you've been to seminary. Yeah. I've been to seminary. I don't, there's no classes on poor. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And so one of our biggest problems with the impoverished identity problem is a lot of the pastors that are on these evangelical streets haven't taken one class in that. They've read When Helping Hurts yep. and they've gone to CCEF and John Perkins, 
that gospel giant hero of mine preaches. And then they think that's all it takes is right. the three R's and then the world is fixed. It's just, it's just not. Right. Therefore, brother, um, we've got to allow, we need more pastors who understand poverty it's pains, it's pressures, it's predicaments. Yeah. And then we've got to get people with the, uh, a, a word from the living God that are both Berean and Issacharian and understanding the word and understanding the times to yep. dive in and jump in. And um, what we've seen, Doug, is, is just the power of relationship, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm not coming in as like a savior, but I'm willing to be your friend. And then through the context of friendship, my eye gets open to like how someone in poverty sees the world and how their experience is so distinct from mine. But the ma- mindset that, that, that they have versus I have, that I didn't ever see before gives me more compassion, you know, and I just feel like just relationship, like I'm willing to be a friend and, and it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And, and if I don't have this expectation that I have to solve all your problems, cause that's overwhelming and you don't have to solve all mine. Cause I got problems too. Right. But, mm-hmm. but we can be friends and consistently over time, listen and love each other. And a lot of amazing things happen by the power of the spirit. If you just keep showing up in relationship with people. No, I, I fully agree. But remember this, our passion and compassion come from God not from the poor person's situation. Mm-hmm. So me and you as believers walk in with a Holy Ghost passion for all people. Amen. Image bears. Absolutely. We, Because Jesus didn't know none of them people when he fed the 5,000 mm-hmm. except them 12. But the Bible says he had compassion on them. Amen. So we come in front loaded at conversion with a compassion for all people and poor people make up all people. We come in with a commission that says go to all nations that must include all neighborhoods. So we walk in with a passion that's driven by God foundationally and we come up with relationship helps us to be the to easily be the conduit of God's grace through both kind deeds and and a bold gospel. Amen. Kind deeds and a bold gospel flowing out of a passion that comes from the Holy Ghost within me. I don't get compassion when I get to the hood and see how bad it is. Often, brother, that's sentimentality. Sure. I got compassion when the ghost ran up on me. I cried out, what must I do to be saved, believed and was baptized? I have to walk in with the heart of Jesus, screaming. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I don't know everything about your situation, but I do know God. I know a God who specializes in every situation. Amen. And then that relationship piece you're talking about helps me with their situation, not the situation. Mm-hmm. And then, But our godly passion and compassion that comes from conversion, it's what happens, brother, is often towards the poor context it hasn't been nurtured because a lot of evangelicalism flows out of white middle class culture yeah a lot of our seminaries don't teach on poverty mm-hmm. they just don't and so by the time you start thinking about poverty you often don't have a gospel grid and whereby you see it which floats us all the way to 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 situational sentimentality because mm-hmm. we don't think that way about other doctrines we and you studied in seminary we mm-hmm. don't think that way about soteriology and pneumatology we have books and theology on it and so we have a position when we debate when we do apologetics when we do evangelism but when it comes to poverty what's our what's our apologetic what's our polemic what's our evangelistic strategy mm-hmm. what's our preaching homiletic what is it it, it's often not taught. It's been washed out of theology, and it's and it's sad for me because mm-hmm. Jesus keeps using the word poor because I think he believes everybody can relate to poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. he says, I became poor that you might become rich. He says, I intentionally bankrupt myself. 
yeah. of all my privilege. Yep. That you yeah. might be loaded with mm -hmm. my riches. Mm -hmm. Old church, we would say God's riches at Christ, um, at Christ's um extent. I think that's expense, what it is. Expense. Expense. Christ, yeah. Christ's expense. Yeah. So yeah. when we when we when 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 we begin to jump into there, man, it's it's a life changer. And the church, the history of the church. Emperor Julius talks about not only do they take care of the citizens of the of the province, not only do they take care of their own people from their church or from the way I think the quote says, right. but they take care they take care even of the citizens from our province. Yeah, we can't lose that history. There was tons of Christians on the Underground Railroad. There was tons yeah. of Christians helping out in Katrina. Tons of Christians in Haiti at the earthquake. Man. We that has to be our normative, not our episodic reactionary gospel mission. Mm -hmm. That's got to be our regular gospel mission. Regular gospel mission to the poor is the metamucil of the Christian face. That's regular. That mm -hmm. keeps us regular. That's who we are. It's not just a nine one one mission. It's a daily mission. Yeah. And so often when it comes to poor people, it's only nine one one. Yeah. Well, Doug, I, I really appreciate this conversation and I've, I've taken uh, an hour of your time. And so thank you so much for your service to the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, to Grimke Seminary, and just this last hour with the Vine Church in Madison. Um, so appreciate what we got to discuss, and I'm sure it's going to help our people on their discipleship journey. So thank you so much, Pastor Doug. God bless you, man. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I hope I was helpful. Um, I can be a little rabbit trailing and jumbly. So <laughs> I pray that your listeners give me some grace and no, man, know that good. I love you, love them. All and right. I love serving Acts 29. Love serving the Lord Jesus through Acts 29. Grace and peace.